sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. This isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes all running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. I am George Knapp listening to that UFO podcast and having one hell of a good time. It's an, it's an event I know very well, especially doing the podcast. Everyone brings it up. People ask me about it outside and, and work and things like that. But when you when you rhyme off all those data points and measurements and sources, it, it brings it back to how incredible that event is and, and, and was. Why aren't more mainstream scientists, if I can use that phrase, interested in that particular case when if you want to forget about laughing about ufos and flying saucers and little green men when you go to scientists and surely the whole idea of being a scientist or you know being involved in physics and and engineering when you hear about something doing that why aren't more people gravitating towards this subject in a big way well i think i think you're seeing the change and it might be very slow but ultimately you are getting mainstream scientists that are now getting engaged and coming out like I talked about with our increasing numbers, even in SEU. And the fact that you have Project Galileo, the fact that you have the, the American Institute for Aeronautics and Astronautics now having an actual community of interest that's gonna be led by Ryan Graves, and we got a number of members on it, that's indicating that this thing is opening up in a lot of different ways slowly, but it, it is nevertheless there. And then you have the other thing where I think mainstream scientists are still trying to catch up with, well, who do I go to? What do I, who do I talk with? They're not as familiar with, you know, maybe SCU. They haven't even heard of us or something, you know. So ultimately, it might be that type of thing, and they've never made the connection. But gradually, they're all coming on. And the more we have these conversations and the more that, you know, like that others are out there, uh, and they hear about that case, for example, and they actually get the data points from it, mm. And, and that's why we published our paper, stuck it up on our website, hoping that people, we could point people to it and get those scientists to actually take a look at what our study was and then go do their own, you know. Uh, and then, you know, ultimately, we're still hoping that at some point down the pike that maybe, just maybe, you'll have the government being willing to work with academia or, or, or with us, you know, or other or non-governmental uh, organizations to help study the phenomena and then we'll learn something from that study. And so I think that, I think we're getting there. It's relatively slow, but you still have people that are waking up to this subject. Uh, not everybody in the country has jumped on just because we were on talking about it on the internet or we were talking about it up, you know, uh, on the news. 
there's there are still a lot of stigma uh, out yeah. there with this. You've got religious groups that won't you know, do it, uh, won't talk about it. There are a lot of people that still won't report because they're afraid of humiliation. Uh, and, uh, you know, so it's going to take a while. And I think that that what we're starting to see is with technology, like we got here, where we're having a conversation across the pond, that ultimately is a situation where we're getting more and more of the news out. And, and now we are starting to see other governments who are again wanting to come on board and also study it. So I think it's, it's just going to take time, but it, it, it'll happen. And you mentioned the government, particularly in the United States, seem to be the most powering forward in this topic with the Gillibrand Amendment being discussed by senators, congressmen, congresswomen at various different levels. The, the task force report of last year, for some, was it was a big thing. For some, it was a damp squib. And for others, they were curious and waiting to see what else would come out. Do you think the new permanent office that's going to be set up, whether it's a AOIMSG or ASRO or whatever they end up being amalgamated to, is that going to be a good thing? Or is it another way of trying to keep the, the genie back in the bottle, so to speak? Yeah, I, I, certainly I, I understand a lot of people thinking that this is going to be like Project Blue Book, you know, was. Uh, and... They want to do that comparison. I don't think that it's at all like Project Blue Book. Uh, Project Blue Book was basically a, uh, like a, if you think about like a public front, it wasn't, it had like about four people on the staff uh, and that's about it. Uh, and they collected the information, took the reports, and then they would tell you how many reports that they received in a certain period of time. But did it have a whole cadre of scientists in the background that were studying it? No, it, it leveraged some of the other organizations like Foreign Technology Division uh, at the base, or it used to be called Attic, and then it became Foreign Technology. Now it's called NASIC. Uh, anyway, the, uh, they would leverage those people to help them with some cases. They obviously had Heineck as a consultant uh, to go out and to basically debunk cases up until the time that he left. And so, you know, you had that kind of thing going on. This is a, an entire government study. This, uh, the reason why they called it the, uh, the synchronization or management, synchronization management or management synchronization uh, is because they've got to synchronize, uh, synchronize between the Title 50 and the Title, uh, Title 10 organizations that are out there where you have like, you know, uh, you know, NOAA might have something to do with reporting. The weather, you know, I mean, our weather reporting. You might have these other organizations like that that ought to be engaged or can help provide that. So it's a total government kind of like look at this whole subject, which has never happened before. And number two, there's actually good solid funding that's going to be applied to it, where it's actually going to now leverage those smart people that are in the organizations. I'm a defense contractor myself. I work for Army Material Command, right? They, I can, I, because I've got a clearance, I would be able to participate if they chose to include uh, a, a study. Whereas my counterparts in SEU who are not in the government, don't have a government, not working on a contract, might not be able to engage or be a part of that. And so, but if you look at all the industries around the military, it's a lot of smart people that they could bring to bear on the topic. And so ultimately, I think we're going to get great answers that we normally didn't have before. At the same time, you're, you're also gonna get more reporting 
because they're trying to change the paradigm. And if you think about all the advanced equipment that we've got out there on the military, we spend millions of dollars on that stuff. You know, on, on just one aircraft, we spend, you know, alone, the equipment there, the, like the Atfler is a million dollars and more, you know. So what I'm talking about, it's the, the most advanced optical, the, the most, it's using satellite. It would be looking at all these different kinds of parameters to bring that together so that we really can make a determination as to finally what these things are. And I think from that, you know, you're probably going to have the general public will be getting drips and drabs of it. We'll probably get some sort of the reports, but it's not, uh, it'll gradually, I think it'll work its way out because I think that ultimately, whatever the conclusion is, it's not going to be where you can close it down and not talk about it uh, because everybody will leak it. (laughs) You know, so secondly, it's going to be a situation where, it'll get out and then they've got to own up to the fact that they've got something. But right now, the big thing is to try to get organized. It's about trying to get all these organizations to work cooperatively together. It's about getting a central database, if you would, bringing it all together, get get the reporting structure in place and having all these reports. How do you send your data? Like if you've got sonar data, how do I get that now? It's changing uh, all the devices that we've got out there with military systems to be able to make sure that it's calibrated or set to the right settings to be able to help us to detect objects. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm also engaged on a project at the Army. Uh, actually, it's the entire DOD right now, which we're actually installing uh, a countermeasure uh, UAS system kind of like a weapon, if you would. It it would be able to knock drones out of the sky. It would be able to detect their presence coming onto our military installations uh, or or any one of our real estate, if you would. Uh, At the same time, it would be able to take over the control of that drone. We'd also know where the operator is actually flying from. Uh, And so I'm right now uh, installing those in the Army bases that I that I work with. And so again, that's another set of measures because they've got acoustic sensors. They would be able to detect things acoustically. They spectrally, they'd be able to detect things. They would be able to visually detect things and they can tell that that object is now moving into the facility and now they can do something about it. And so that's the kind of like level of sensors you wanna have around this thing. And I think that the government now can address that, use the scientists that they have to be able to figure that out and to help us to do the research and figure out what the heck these things are. If you don't mind, Rich, I'd like to use the last of the time we've got to get through some listener questions, if you can. Sure. Brilliant. Uh, and I've got a good range of topics here to cover. So hopefully if there's anything been missed in the body of the interview, it's answered within listener questions. And then maybe if Rich has a few minutes at the end, I've got a quick fire round it. It dusts off anything else. Um, the first question is from Dan. Uh, yes, Dan, the co-host for anyone checking in. Um, given the amount of data that was gathered by UAP study programs on the biological effects of UAP on humans, will you be working with experiencers like abductees or people who claim to have touched craft or got near? it to catalog the data? Um, We and SEU are not going that direction. And let me clarify why. Uh, Bottom line there is that there's, there's this phenomenon has got a lot of different things to it. 
there, it includes everything from the experiencer level, which would be you'd have to have psychologists, you'd have to have uh, you know everything from uh, the medical field and everybody engaged in that study. Okay, uh, that's something that's going well beyond what we're about. We're focusing on just the UFO alone to see if we can understand its physics, how it flies, what it does, and to keep focused on that. We believe that over the period of the history of UFOs, all these distractions and these other kinds of things that are out there have kept us from really having a full core bore study on just that aspect, right? Mm -hmm. So we've focused on that kind of data. We're looking at the how do the physics of the object, how do they maneuver in the atmosphere, what are they doing, how are they getting around, and we have not gone into the experiencer world. We believe that the experiencer world has got to develop its own discipline. I know that I was the state director of Alabama. I would receive reports of people that would show me their arm, and it would have a golf ball-sized kind of like uh, protrusion in it. And they would say that that's an implant. Well, that wasn't anything like the other implants that were relatively small that nobody knew about, right? Mm -hmm. So they would come up and they would tell you that. And weeding through all that, you know, and trying to figure that out. Well, and then you'd ask the individual, well, did you go to a doctor and have it looked at? Which doctor do I go to to have it looked at if that's allegedly an implant the size of a golf ball? Did you go to your regular doctor? No. Do we have funding and money to be able to support looking at everybody's arms with bumps on them, scars, marks? No. So consequently, you're not getting until that discipline is put into place where you're actually studying this and you have a way of weeding out all the 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 unidentifieds or the, the or the, the excuse me, the identifieds and making it and then going after the cases that are very strong with the right medical team, the right psychological team, the right you, you name it and doing it immediately. Uh, we're not going to approach that. So SU is focused on the UFO. That's a fair answer. Uh, Craig, who's one of the longest uh, listeners to the podcast, hi Craig, asks, can Rich comment on the SCU analysis of the rubber duck UAP video? Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, that right now, that analysis is going through peer review. We've actually put the report together. Uh, it's being peer reviewed. Uh, we're hoping to have that out probably by and finalized as far as the peer review study uh, by within the next two months. Uh, bottom line on that I, and, uh, is that the, the, it's a similar situation where you have Homeland Security, the Customs and Border Protection people engaged in and watching an object that was near the, the, the border. Uh, and potentially what you look at it on thermal, and we, uh, we understand thermal, uh, usually it has like settings. It's, it's basically, you know, it might be black hot or white is hot. Uh, and so in this case, in that one, it, it was basically black was hot, which meant that the thermal contrast between like cows on the ground or the whatever uh, would be warmer than what you'd see on the object that was seen there. Uh, you have an object there that, that basically maneuvered around for over 40 minutes, uh, you know, and was was video recorded as even the object went around it, you know, or the aircraft went around it and, and did loops and parallel uh, parallax what had to be focused on as well in this study. But ultimately it doesn't, the thermal signature doesn't match anything that we typically know of. Uh, it was extremely cold. 
and so what would be cold like that that would yield that kind of a thermal temperature? And we, when we compare that against other kinds of objects, like if drone, somebody suggested it might have been a parachute with a payload on it uh, that, that was actually seen and that would give the rubber ducky kind of appearance. Well, first off, the, the balloon idea is doesn't work because it's going in directions against wind at times. And so you have also the fact that ultimately the uh, the object itself is completely cold and it would and nothing like a parachute would give that kind of like or a balloon would have given you that kind of like thermal image. So there's a lot of these types of things that I'm talking about that we, we expand on in the paper. But we, we ultimately come up with the fact that it, it remains uh, inconclusive. It's, it's an, an anomal, anomalous. We don't know what it is. It doesn't correspond with anything that we typically think of as being conventional or natural. Next up, another long-term listener and supporter, Dave Smethurst. Uh, Dave, you sent in a lot of questions. Thank you. But this one I've picked to ask Rich. Uh, does Rich think that some UAP are more advanced than others? are more advanced than others. Yeah, and I think what Dave's talking about isn't any that potentially may be, you know, a better drone than someone else's, but are we seeing potentially non-human objects here where some of them are actually better models, they're faster, they perform better, or have better characteristics? Let me tell you that, number one, from what we've seen, and we're doing it, what we, it's called a, 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 a characteristics study right now, where we're going through history, looking at shape uh, and motion and various other things. And we're doing that throughout history of the reports. Uh, and we're putting that study together, which hasn't been released. It'll, be, it'll also be talked about at the conference uh, in June. But uh, what we find out is that it doesn't matter what shape it is. We've got objects that are dumbbell shaped. We've got objects that are round. We have, excuse me, objects that are, if you look at the Alaska Airlines uh, event that took place, you know, that was, there was an object that was almost the size of, like, uh, I think beyond an aircraft carrier. I mean, it was huge. And then you have objects that are being seen that can maneuver with the same efficiency and speed uh, that might be the size of a grapefruit. And so we've got objects that expand that whole range of sizes uh, that perform with the same ease. So when we put that in the context, we say that, well, basically, it doesn't matter what shape it is. It, it, but the big, bigger question is, where are they developing, or maybe about even be where and when are these objects coming from? <laughs> and are they coming from the same source, or are they coming from multiple origination points, if you would? Yeah. Like the time phenomenon. If you had that craft built, you could be coming back with different craft you have at different times that you're developing it in the future, right? Just like we have different kinds of shapes, designs. And, and then if you allegedly think that they're all living underneath the ocean, uh, there must be one hell of a production plant down there to build all these different models. And why would you do that? You know, I mean, it's my, my point is that, you know, <laughs> Think about, you know, building all the cars that are out there. I mean, consequently, it's like, you know, we got production plants and everything out everywhere, but uh, underneath, the uh, underneath the ocean, but you have objects that are triangular shape popping out of the ocean, disc shape, balls that are, uh, that are basically emerging from the water. And so you have a wide variety of these objects that are maneuvering through 
the you know water air and space with equal ease and it's the same object that could also can do all three of those different medium and we haven't got anything that can do all three of those medium right did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising with 67 percent of listeners remembering brands and 63 percent making a purchase after hearing them whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's Creator Network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Host-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's Creator Network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favourite creators like me. I've worked with Zencaster now for some time and they truly put the content creators and the listeners at the heart of what they do. As a huge fan of podcasts myself, and I really mean that, I love podcasts, I often buy products or services that I find useful to me based on those pods that I'm listening to. It supports them and there's usually a good discount to go along with it. So if you're interested in sponsoring this show or another podcast with adverts for your business, go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod one, that's the number one, or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. Hence the interest, I suppose, in the potential propulsion device or if it's some sort of anti-gravity, is is it that that's the source of all of this? Because like you say, then why the different shapes? Why not just settle on one shape and it's the actual device that makes a difference? Then that maybe begs the question, are they coming from different places, different different times, like you say, different planets? If you want to go old school, that seems to seems to be now, doesn't it? But yeah, it's a whole other show, I think, on that one as well. Um, next up, question from Newman. Newman says, what do you think of the recent drone sightings over power plants in Sweden and other parts of Europe like France and Germany? Well, Number one, uh, and I t- this is kind of like where I was telling you that we're, we're looking at putting drone killers in, right? Because ultimately the concern is we do have these things that appear to be drones that are, are maneuvering near all of our sensitive sites, right? Not just ours, but, you know, in other countries as well. And if you think about that, okay, again, going back to what is the intent here? Number one, why do I go across like in... in Palo Verde is a nuclear station. There were six objects that were going around the entire perimeter of that military location that then shot off, went away. And they did that uh, as they wrote, went around the perimeter. What were they doing? What were they looking at? What were they detecting? We're building drones now that allow us to take, and I, I'm a, an operator myself. I've got a, my own Phantom DJI that I can fly, right? But you can fly these drones around, and now you can add all these different kinds of sensors to them to be able to do, do everything from detecting, you know, uh, radiation. Uh, you might be detecting, uh, you know, or, or, or you're actually monitoring or looking at thermo, uh, ther- uh, thermal imaging. I can actually see people walking around or I could see what's going on. I might have an acoustic device on the drone to be able to listen in to conversations. I can do a lot of that type of stuff, and all that stuff is now coming about. There are also drone advances where they're they're using even uh, you know they're not using they're using fuel 
like, you know, to be able to fly them. They're able to stay up there longer. They're able to move quicker. You know, typical drones like my battery operated when I've got to bring it back and like reload it in maybe about 20 minutes, you know, put it on another battery. But I don't have to do that. So drone advancements are, are increasingly improving very well. And so the question is, is that an alien, uh, if, if you would, out there that's doing that? Or is it another country? Because guess that that's what we would do with our own drones, send them off and go and collect intelligence as well, right? So, you know, you, you, you're collecting intelligence by doing that. So this is why it's real critical that the military, when they, when they talk about it and the government talks about it as being potentially adversaries versus, you know, something else, we have to be able in the, in the DOD world to protect things and to be able to discriminate between the known and the unknown, if you would, right? So there might these might be potentially, potentially the known, meaning that they're adversaries that are doing intelligence collection, and we have to be concerned about that. We And so part of what we're doing is we're looking, if it's a drone, we'll be able to knock it out of the sky and, 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 you know, and so on and so forth. So, but if it's not a drone, it's going to go on its merry path. Well, that's raises a whole other level of questioning, right? You know, it yeah. might be something that's now, wait a minute, I thought that that was a drone and it's not. And so we're also arming like our ships with, uh, with those same kind of devices to be able to actually detect and determine what they are as well. So hopefully that addresses your question. Yeah, interesting. Um, Justin says, excellent bow tie. He must have known. Um, and he says, excellent work for SCU as well. Are there any other videos you find as compelling as the Aguadilla video? Um, the challenge we have with videos are that they're so easily contrived today. Um, I spend most of my time looking at videos. I've been on, there's a History Channel show called The Proof Is Out There, and I've been on the last two seasons. And uh, tomorrow we're actually filming for the third season. And it's all about looking at, you know, video images that people have uh, posted that about UFOs and then having to go through and look at and analyze them and try to figure out what we can figure out about them. And uh, ultimately, uh, one of those ones that I took a look at was actually over in the UK was the Bristol. Uh, uh, there was a in Bristol area uh, of the UK. Uh, there was an object that was seen uh, and down there that I, a case that I looked into. Uh, there was the Chilean uh, case that where there was a black plume of smoke, or if you would, it looked like smoke coming out of the yeah. back of it. That was then thermal. We looked at that one. Uh, there was a lot of uh, interesting things about that. But at the same time, uh, at the end of the day, you couldn't say that it was actually maneuvering or doing something like splitting in two. Uh, it was nothing, you know, uh, other than it, it could have been an aircraft that was that was going in, hit a contrail or a set of an area, except that the, the problem with it was that the altitude was too low for contrails. So I tried to, like, determine, well, maybe it's some other kind of thing. And we couldn't identify what could create that little plume, uh, if you would, on the back end of it. That was kind of an interesting case. Um, and, in fact, you know, the Chilean government looked into it, uh, the military and deemed that it was an unknown as well. Uh, but there's not very many that we get that are I, I find as compelling as the Aguadilla. I think uh, that one, to me, was just off the charts. Uh, 
how could you account for something that would split in two with two different thermal signatures and do what it did? I, I, it just didn't make any sense. The other thing is that I really believe that there's probably a lot of good photographic evidence we can't get to because there's 6 million uh, CGI kinds of like videos floating around. There is, you know? yeah. And so ufologists that have an interest in this uh, don't have time to look at every one of those things. Uh, and that the other part of it is that they're lacking scientific controls when they, they come in. In other words, it wasn't done in scientifically in a controlled setting. It was done by somebody using their iPhone, the iPhones, you know, typically at night. So now you're just looking at, at a night object that's out there and it's just a light on a dark background, right? Yeah. You can't really get a reference point for it. You have no data that helps you out to understand it. And then plus a lot of people post their, their stuff up. They don't tell you where they're from, where it was taken, any of the details about it. So consequently, it just doesn't help us. So scientifically, we're lacking and anything that's really convincing. But I believe that the military's got that, and that's part of that hidden trove that we haven't been able to see. And all the, the, the films and the videos that were taken, even from the early days, uh, a good number of those cases, they submitted it to the Air Force Project Blue Book, and we have never seen them. And Justin, that was actually a follow-up. Justin had, what are your thoughts on the amazing crystal clear videos we hear about but haven't been shown? As an organiz organization like SCU, is that something you, with maybe contacts and networking, you strive to try and get a hold of some of that footage that we hear about, you know, tic-tacs 50 feet off the wing of, of an aircraft? Yeah, we've been, we've been definitely looking at uh, whatever we can get. Let's put it that way. <laughs> the challenge is getting it. You know, the other, the other challenge is actually being able to get the raw image uh, that you want to analyze. And unless you can get the raw image, you're always dealing with the potential that it's been edited or changed. And that doesn't allow you to do that deep dive into the actual down at the pixel level and actually check into it. So our struggle is that because these things are typically coming out of the military area, uh, number one, it's, is it a leak? Did they leak it to us? And then you're trying to follow what you can. Where did it come from? Yeah. You know, who handled it? And you do the chain of evidence and you try to find out where that, that evidence came from. And it, it's difficult to do. So there's a very small number of these things. But we would love to be able to get something that's very, very clear that we could take a look at. Wouldn't we all? Uh, and in the balance of fairness, I've got a question from Flarky. Uh, Flarky is pretty good at debunking or, or looking at these things with a speculative eye. He looked at one of my own photos today and he asks, what do you think of the theory that the Agadia video showed nothing more than a prosaic object moving with the wind? Um, we we analyze, In terms of the Agadia video now you're talking yeah. about, you know, do we yeah. think that it's a natural object moving against the wind? Is that what you Yes. Yeah, he's asking, I think Flarky's opinion is that that's what it is, that it's yeah. nothing more than an object, you know, floating in the wind. Yeah, so we did everything we could to analyze that aspect of it, and we concluded that it was definitely not uh, an object that was moving with the wind. One of the challenges you have in studying uh, an object where the object is moving at the same time the aircraft is circling around it, right? You have to deal and you have to subtract out things like parallax. The effect of, you know, if I rotated around you right now, the background would be also moving, mm -hmm. but it would be moving at the same speed as the aircraft. If I have a discrepancy between those two, 
You know, in other words, the background is not moving at the same speed as the aircraft is, then I would be able to, I have to factor that in and say, well, wait a minute, then it actually is moving and can I deduce that? Same time, there were reference objects on the ground that we could look at. And while the plane was like making its, and you're looking at this thing on every single frame, by the way, and so you're breaking it at one thirtieth of a second level, you can actually detect that there is actually motion with the object that's independent of the parallax effect. And so you can get down and you can start to now make a determination the, about things like, you know, size and speed. The, uh, we looked at the weather. The weather was that it was basically the winds were from the, I believe, the northeast or roughly the east going to the west. Uh, the object was basically uh, different points of its position. At one point, it goes behind a telephone pole. We're able to actually see it go behind the telephone pole. So that new met, allowed us to make a determination as to its size as well as its distance. Mm -hmm. Okay. And where it was. It was not anywhere in the one spot of where it originally was. It had moved. Uh, the, the, uh, the other thing that I'll point out to you uh, that it, the wind at that altitude was about 15 to 18 miles per hour. If you actually took a, like a, a mylar balloon and you put it up in the air at that altitude and then with that wind speed, you would see it bouncing around all over the place. It would be herky-jerky. This yep. was not like that. The thermal signature of a balloon does not match uh, even what you would get. So the thermal signature is nowhere near what you would get with any kind of a balloon or a kind of like that. Uh, the other thing is that the object, uh, when, we, when we did the calculation of the path, at what point you see it go into the water and go underneath the water. That was, and then it pops up and comes out. We actually can measure the, uh, uh, what the depth of the object was. We were able to look at that whole thing and find out that it's where its position was. It actually made a course change, by the way. We deduced the fact that it made a, a course change as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of intricate layers to that whole thing. You'd have to read our analysis, you know, in depth, which is up on the, but we we looked at it from the, everything from the thermal signature, the wind, uh, what could it be? How could we explain it using, you know, things like balloons, birds, uh, and to see if we could do that. And we ruled all those things out. No, that's a good answer. Thank you for that. And Flarky, DM me if you want uh, any follow-up, because I know you usually do. Um, final listener question. I quite like this one for you, Rich. This is from Jason in Los Angeles. Do you believe we are on the verge of the next big technological advancement as a species? And what do you think that could possibly be? Well, I think that you know, certainly, I mean, what we're seeing a proliferation of right now, even in the DOD world, is the, uh, again, the use of AI as well as you know the fact that we're moving towards the uh, quantum computing and i think that ultimately those types of things are going to make a very large profound difference uh and change in uh in just what we do and how we how we use things uh how we compute things the information that we're able to get uh i think our our understanding of the quantum level uh is definitely improving I think that there's a, a hopefully that that's going to lead us into some fundamental changes about the nature of of us, the matter, and everything else. I think that 
the more we continue to study, uh, obviously, uh, the medical field and everything else, the, the, it's going to change things dramatically. My hope is that we're going to be around long enough to be able to do that. <laughs> you know, if we aren't going nuclear at that point. But anyway, I think that those kind of things are going to be really, really game changers. Uh, and if you look at just the nature of uh, the uh, virtual reality that we create, I think that that's also going to play into it and how we do things and how we approach things. But um, anyway, I, those are some of the things that I'm, I'm most excited about. And I know that they're like on the, just on the horizon, you know, uh, that, so we might be able to, I might be able to see some of these things in my lifetime or hopefully I can, uh, I'm starting to see that we're using uh, AI in the military. Uh, and I think that that's going to help us to understand the UFO as well. Uh, I want to finish up with a quick fire round. I've not done it for a few uh, interviews and brought it back for this. So a few words or a few sentences on each of the topics. And if you have no opinion, you can move on. Um, the first one, Rich, is Skinwalker Ranch. Fascinating subject. I think that that, that ultimately there's a, there's a phenomena there that we just don't understand. And it deserves very, very credible scientific uh, investigation. Uh, more so than just on this TV show. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, with full set of equipment, with a, a lot of more, a lot more uh, unbiased kinds of perspectives uh, and looking into it. But there's definitely something there that we need to study. Uh, the Bob Lazar story. I'm sorry. Oh, Lazar. The Bob, Bob Lazar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I pretty much just let him go because he's a distraction. We're not getting, you know, I mean, he's, he's nothing but a distraction. Why would I want to spend my time time talking about somebody who's never produced any shred of evidence, who's got credibility issues, and whatever he says, who really cares? Okay, I mean that's where I'm at with him. I, he's a, he does he's a distraction from me studying UFOs. Uh, what about Roswell? I think Roswell was indeed a, a crash of an unknown. I, I, I look at it from all the indications of the, the many firsthand, secondhand witnesses, you know, and you could go on and on. There was definitely something that happened there that was very unorthodox. Uh, I was in, in the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and we looked at the receipt of the material from Fort Worth that did come to Dayton, Ohio. And uh, we talked with people there that, that also had recognized that that did come to them. So it's real. What's your personal opinion on what consciousness is and the role it may play in relation to UAP? I understand that's a big question for a quick fire round, but. Yeah, it's like me taking, uh, you know, people always ask me, is there a connection between Bigfoot and UFOs? Well, it's like me taking one unknown and trying to explain it with another unknown. Yeah. Me taking and trying to, you, you know, say I understand consciousness enough to know whether it's being applied to UAPs. Tell, would tell you that uh, basically I'm taking that unknown and trying to stick it with this one. And that doesn't work in science. You don't do that. I mean, so ultimately you have to figure them both out. And I, I, it, we're nowhere near figuring out what consciousness is, uh, let alone how it is applied in the context of UIP. If you think about it, everything that we see, do, touch, and everything else is all a part of our consciousness. And so what what aspect of that did did the uh, my consciousness create the UFO that's up in the sky? Well, wait a minute. How does it have physical effects on the ground? 
How does it have physical effects on radar? How does it have my consciousness? I don't think I can do that, propel that into existence. And then why is it that somebody standing next to me is also watching that same thing? Do we have the same consciousness? You know, is it, you know, they're seeing it, I'm seeing it. How do thousands of people see the, the Phoenix lights? And, and you, you get my point, right? Yeah. So I don't necessarily see a, a causal explanation or a connection yet. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that at some point, maybe that can happen, but we're a long way down the pike. In your opinion, what is the best explanation for what UAP could be? Well, I tend to want to say that there are more than one thing. <clears throat> I don't, I don't, I, th there's a, a good portion of them are natural phenomena that are still unknown to us. And let me, let me clarify that. Earth lights. I've studied earth light phenomena. These are balls of light that illuminate, that move through the sky and can do all different kinds of things. Hestelin, Norway. You've got them, you've got them in the Minmin lights in Australia. You've got uh, also in Cloverdale, about a, an hour away from me. You had Piedmont, Missouri. You've got the Brown Mountain Lights. So there's a part of this phenomenon that's actual people report as UFOs, which are not necessarily UFOs. They're just natural phenomena that we haven't figured out. So there's a good part of that. There's also the classified projects that are out there that people see that we just you know, don't get any answers for because guess what? You can't get classified people to tell you that they have classified things. So that's another part of the subset of things that we can't explain. You have also additionally to that, You've got uh, phenomena out there like a Tic Tac that is, you know, out there performing and doing incredible speeds and things like that, which we don't understand. So what I'm trying to tell you is that we also have objects that can basically disappear in front of your face and vanish, uh, not even cloaking, but maybe just disappearing, you know, materializing and dematerializing. We have. Uh, and so. What I'm trying to tell you is I think we've got phenomena of different kinds that are coming in and we're, we're, we want to call them and want to look for a single explanation when there's not the case. And they could also be time travelers from the future that we're seeing, you know, and so you get where I'm coming from there. Absolutely. And finally, what are your hopes as pertains to UFOs and the subject for this year, 2022? Well, I, you know, to me, it's... <laughs> I understand. I've, I've been at this thing for 58 years, right? Now, 58 years of my life, almost my entire life, you know? And it's one of those things where I've always had great expectations. I thought that this year was going to be a year that something was going to happen. We were in a major breakthrough. I don't, I think what's going to happen is that we'll have continued uh, political discussions about the politics and the people around the planet that are getting engaged politically because they're coming on board with it. You'll hear about that, that that will be coming up. I think from a scientific standpoint, the fact that we got now more people that are actually going after the subject, little by little, we're going to have more and more papers that come into play with more and more information and better data uh, is going to help us out because we're now technologically moving to be able to get that better data, right? So I yeah. think that ultimately it might not happen this year, but I think that ultimately it's going to happen in a very quicker time frame. Again, because we're going to be using tools like AI and machine learning to be able to help us to go sort through all the information we're getting from systems and to really come up with a smarter answer. Rich, how can people follow you and your work? Well, I mean, uh, certainly I'm on Facebook and all the other kinds of things as well. I, I typically, 
I have a license plate on my car, which I it has a certain finite number of like, you know, letters you're able to use. So I've made it UFO XPRT for UFO expert. And it triggers a lot of conversations where people will see me at the gas station and say, hey, are you into UFOs? Let me talk to you. Right. So yeah. that it's it's been that kind of thing. And you know, I've had fun with that. But uh, so I'm I'm basically out there as UFO expert on like, you know, like, you know, Twitter and some of the other things. Uh, XPRT. Uh, you can also follow us on our website, you know, in terms of SEU. Uh, and I we put a lot up there. Uh, I'm posting up on Facebook all the time on my own personal page and stuff like that. Uh, we The SCU page is where we're putting all of our papers that we come up with. And so you're going to keep seeing that growing all the time as these papers come out. Uh, and, you know, by all means, get a hold of me and come to the conference. You know, uh, you know the conference uh, would love to have you there. Uh, you can actually get to it uh, to register if you want uh, on our UFO uh uh, on the uh, SCU webpage, which is explorescu.org, uh, explorescu.org, and you know uh, there's a link from there to the registration page. Come to the conference, uh, any one of them. I'll be on virtually. Uh, it's also a virtual conference, so there's no reason the UK can't come in. <laughs> you know, so absolutely. Hopefully. hopefully uh, we had 250 people from around the world last year, so I'm hoping that we have more than that. But uh, anyway, that's pretty much how you can get a hold of me. And there's also a Connect page. Uh, you can ask about me. Uh, we have an email from our uh, a contact page on our web, our SCU website. Well, that's great. That was the last thing I was going to mention was that the SCU Anomalous Aerospace Phenomena Conference, the AAPC, that runs June 3rd to June 5th, and it's uh, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. But like you say, you can attend in person, or if you can't make it, you can register online now to attend it virtually as well. Rich, it's been amazing talking to you. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, thank you so much for being so generous with your time as well, and I look forward to hosting you down the line again in future. Great. Nice to meet you, Andy. And thank you for all your guests and the people that pay attention and, and ask the questions. And, and I look forward to seeing you again. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer. A little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little more. Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. A 
jumped back and nearly kissed myself. And I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was wet. And I called out to my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And they think I should take care of me. And I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me. Consider your lies, consider your life, consider your eyes. Listen.